What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. This is Austin, your host for the ad space today. And if this is your first time tuning in, then I appreciate you being here. Everyone at Fieldcraft appreciates you being here. And we're glad that you came to us for all your preparedness, education, uh, content, and products. So I'm going to talk to you guys about what makes this content, the podcast, free for you. And we're really excited to be announcing that we are partnered up with Black Rifle Coffee Company. So obviously Mike and Evan have been friends for a lot of years, and that friendship has led to a great relationship between everybody within both companies. And so now uh, we've all been hanging out and having a great time. And and now we're actually going to be partnering up on a lot of awesome content that we're going to be bringing to you guys. So stay tuned for all of that. But also, if you're a coffee drinker, it's great for you because Black Rifle has an awesome coffee club. So you head over to blackriflecoffee.com. You sign up for the coffee club and it it puts you through a little uh, quiz, so to speak. And you get to pick if you want beans, if you want grounds, uh, whatever it is, or even if you want K-cups, then it helps you figure out what blend you want, what kind of coffee, and then how often it's shipped to you. So you can just always have a little bit coming to you in the mail. You never have to worry about running out uh, of that goodness, that caffeined goodness. So head over to blackriflecoffee.com and sign up for the coffee club. Next up is our friends at Casey Highlights. So we just got back not long ago from Overland Expo and we spent pretty much the whole three days hanging out with our friends at Casey. So Mike had his rig of war, his Land Cruiser um, in the Casey booth. Uh, They decked it out with some awesome lights and set it up to actually look like one of Mike's old rigs of war that he had while he was overseas serving our country. And I mean, the family over there, and that's why they call it the KC family is, I mean, they really are, man. They've become really good friends of ours and they do make a stellar product. They make the best lights in the industry. And if you're looking for something to put on your boat, on your motorcycle, and of course on your vehicle, they've got a light for the specific need that you're looking for. And I guarantee you it's the best for it. So head over to kchighlights.com, use code fieldcraft, and that'll save you 10%. So again, that is code Fieldcraft, all one word, and it'll save you 10% on your next purchase with Casey Highlights. And next up are our friends over at Vertex. So, you know, we've partnered up with Vertex and I'm really stoked about it personally because I've been using some of Vertex's gear uh, since way back, like 2015. And they've always had your preparedness in mind when they built their equipment. Um, you know, not making it this overtly uh, tactical bag, but making an everyday bag that has all the considerations that you need in a bag for your everyday carry and your preparedness in mind. So uh, I've been a huge fan of theirs for a long time. Uh, They've got the solutions for anything that you're looking for, though, bags and packs, but also pants and shirts that facilitate you um, in your everyday wear having the accommodations you need for uh, everyday carry and your preparedness and, and how you carry that on your person. So you can use code FIELDCRAFT and it'll actually save you 20% at Vertex.com. So 20% at Vertex.com using code FIELDCRAFT. And I promise you guys, you will not be disappointed in anything that they're putting out for you. They have your preparedness in mind, your best interest. Head over to Vertex.com, save 20% with code FIELDCRAFT. Guys, and next up is Hoist. If you're not familiar with who Hoist is, they make a phenomenal drink that is clinically proven to keep you 110% better hydrated than water. Not only just better hydrated, but it'll keep you hydrated for longer, which for me and my personal pursuits, uh, that's what I'm really worried about, right? So uh, it's hunting season here in Utah and I know in a lot of other places. So um, 
for me out here in elevation in Utah, it's easy to get crushed and trying to stay ahead of your hydration. And so having something like hoist that I can pack and keep me hydrated that much longer and that much more hydrated, big impact out here. Uh, unfortunately, we have a lot of people that I respond to in search and rescue, even that just they go down because they're so dehydrated out pursuing animals, out pursuing a hike, whatever it is they're doing. And then they didn't think ahead and hydrate and having something like hoist, a drink like hoist that can keep me that much more hydrated. Absolutely huge impact out here in the backcountry for Utah. And I know that you guys will experience that same impact in whatever your pursuit is. So they have half the sugar, twice the electrolytes, no artificial sweeteners, no preservatives or dyes, and it's made here in the U.S. So guys, head over to drinkhoist.com, use code FIELDCRAFT10, and save yourself 10% on your next purchase over there. That's FIELDCRAFT10 at drinkhoist.com. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host today for this podcast. This is Austin, and I'm sitting down with the man himself, Mike Lowe. Mike, what's going on, man? Hey, you know what? A lot is going on, and I can't <laughs> wait to share it with you guys. Yeah, awesome, man. So um, if you guys aren't familiar with Mike, uh, Mike is a former Air Force survival instructor prior to it actually being called SEER, what we know as SEER now, um, and was in that space. What, what years were you there? Uh, during the Reagan years, Reagan uh, years, first eight years of the eighties. That's awesome, man. So, I mean, really an OG kind of in that space of, of an early before the transition to what it was, but obviously, and now you have your own company, uh, teaching survival, preparing people and, uh, which is doing well. And, you know, you're, you're kind of, a a name that I knew when I was at the survival school and a, and a guy that I've always looked up to in this space. Right on. So, um, guys, I'm excited to do the podcast. I hope you're excited to hear it. Um, cause Mike is full of knowledge and, uh, wants to share it with you guys. So <laughs> that, that's an improvement on full of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 I, I, I sometimes have other choice words for other people, but not for you. Well, now, um, so Mike, <laughs> let's get started, man. I want to talk about early life for you, like where did you grow up and what influences and things were you doing as a kid that kind of got you interested in, in, in survival? Right. How did I get here? Yeah. You know, so survival has been part of my life in that mom and dad, um, were not fit to be parents. They weren't mm -hmm. quite ready for that. And so we were abandoned, ended up in an orphanage, a boys town in Omaha, Nebraska. And so you start surviving right away at that point because at the dining hall, there's just so much food and there's way more kids than there are food. And so that's where it begins. You know, it's like yeah. what ends up in your pocket and will it stay in your pocket or the bigger kids take it from you? Eventually got kicked out of Boys Town, started living <laughs> with a family, uh, my dad's um, sister and her family wow. uh, in Colorado. So now I'm in Colorado in the 70s, in the, in the mid-70s, and you know, the whole uh, resurgence of interest in survival and wilderness and John Denver singing all of his songs yeah. and it's got everybody in the groove for yeah. wilderness experiences. So my uncle was big time into it. So he taught me a lot about how to survive in the wilderness, uh, a lot about camp crafting too. Mm. So not just surviving, but thriving. You're right. smoothing it out there because we don't have to do without just because we're in the wilderness. Mm. We can build it up kind of like the professor in Gilligan's Island, uh, Robinson Crusoe. Then I graduated high school and 
I kind of dinked around a little bit. I thought maybe mm. I was going to be an auto mechanic mm-hmm. and um, didn't like that so much. Yeah. Were, you, were up, you savvy mechanically? Was that something that you'd enjoyed? You know what? Savvy is probably not the right word, but I was <laughs> I was okay around tools. Yeah. Uh, I worked for a tire shop in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. So I did their brakes. I did their front end alignments. I did mufflers. Mm. Um, I actually had a bending machine. I could read a card and make the right stuff for your car. Wow. That was a pretty cool deal, yeah, you know? that's cool. But it didn't seem like it was going to go um, the way my soul was really wired, you know, was, was wilderness. So... Um, you know, this is kind of a, a strange thing. Just sitting in, in Nebraska, I was uh, working at a pork plant. <laughs> and I mean, back in the in the uh, late 70s, I was making 12 bucks an hour. Ooh. You know, that's a lot of money back yeah. then. And it was a coveted job. And there was a lot of people who wanted that job. One day, I'm just, I'm sitting at the line and, and these uh, pieces of pork are going by and I was supposed to reach out cut the meat off the bones and then put the meat here and the bones over there. And all of a sudden, bang, something cracks me in the head and I'm seeing stars. I look around mm-hmm. and my buddy on the other end of the plant had picked up a towel, made a towel ball out of the fat. And it was about the size of a racquetball. And he heaves it 100 feet across, smacks me in the head. <laughs> oh and I'm God. like, okay, buddy, I got <laughs> yeah. your number. So I look this way and that way for the supervisor. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Yeah. So I reach out, I pick up that ball, and I heave it across the room. Missed him by a mile, but I get a tap on the sol- shoulder. There is oh. a supervisor. I looked all three ways, but there's actually four ways. I yeah. did not check the right, the <laughs> last one. So he taps me on the shoulder, takes me out to the front. They pay me. I'm gone. I'm done. That's Dang. it. Only lasted a month on the assembly line in a pork plant. <laughs> and, so got then, and got fired for throwing a ball of fat. I know. It's like, and I missed the guy. <laughs> if I had knocked him out, it would have been well worth it. But no, 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 no. I totally yeah. missed so my, my roommate also lost his job. So we sold everything we had and moved into his little Camaro, a little six-cylinder Camaro, oh, and we man. drove to California. We were going to Anaheim. I was going to be Mickey Mouse, and he was going to be Pluto at, <laughs> at Disneyland. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so we, we go to you know, HR, and we're, we're applying for the job. And they're all really excited. Oh, man, you guys are going to be perfect for this. It's so happy you're here. And this is wonderful. And I said, great. Well, when can we expect a call? And she looks at the list, and she goes, well, right now, there's about a three-year lineup. Oh, my But gosh. we can't wait to have you. <laughs> and I says, well, I can't wait to have you, I mean, I need to go work. So I got a job at, at, a, at a little junk store in California. I had been reduced to a bicycle by now. Mm. 20 years old, got the whole world ahead of me, a long life of whatever. And I'm on a bicycle riding downtown in Riverside, California. And there's a pretty blonde on the other side of the road. Yeah. And so I'm checking her out thinking, wow, what a, you know, this is just an amazing person. And then boom. I run into something, I endo all over the place with the bike. I get up and I look at it and it's a sandwich sign that has a picture of a jet airplane flying straight up in the air and it says, aim high. The Air Force um, advertising slogan back back in the uh, late seventies. And I was like, that's it, that's it. So I ran into the recruiting office as I says, man, I wanna fly that plane and keep America great and free. 
And they were like, oh man, we're so happy you're here, man. You, you're just in time. We were literally talking about, we needed someone like you, you know. Yeah. They're really good oh, recruiter. Yeah. Really more, good More recruiter. of a salesman than a military oh, person. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. I mean, Zig Ziglar would have been proud. <laughs> and so it's just like, well, well, let's take a look at it. What are your interests? I mean, I love the wilderness. You're not gonna believe it. There is a, there is a wilderness survival job in the Air Force. This has got yeah. your name written all over it. Let's yeah. sign right here. So yeah. I did. So in 1980, right after Mount St. Helens erupts in, wow. in Washington State, get through boot camp, barely made it because I was so busy with the selection process for oh, yeah. to be a survival instructor. And uh, But they pushed me on anyhow because they didn't want me for another, what was it? Eight, 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 eight or nine weeks. Something like that. I forget yeah. what it was back then. And so I end up in Spokane, Washington, right after St. Helens erupts. And then I learned how to uh, survive in every environment in the world yeah. and in some places that are unworldly, like being on a raft in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> being in a POW camp and yeah. being beaten and, and, and abused, yeah. having to survive. And then I get to spend another, uh, took about six months to learn how to teach it to other people mm -hmm. so that um, now I'm a qualified survival instructor. Yeah. Working for the US Air Force. It was, I had like reached the pinnacle of life for me, yeah. and I was only 21 years old. In your happy place. Oh, man. Yeah, I, mean, awesome. I never felt like I was in the military. It yeah. never, I mean, in the Air Force in general, you don't right. feel like you're no, in the it's, military. It's a much different atmosphere. Oh, then the sure. Army and uh, Navy Marines, yeah. that's very, very, very military-minded. Yeah. Air Force, it's more like being a civilian. It's more like a business. It's like being yeah, a yeah. part of a corporation. Right, because what is it, like 80% of the Air Force is ground support? Right, it's all support support right. roles, you know, even unless you're a, a pilot or in, um, you know, in, I guess they call it special warfare now. Right. You're not, you know, you're in a support role of some kind. Yeah, and so we were there to support the pilots. And right. my job was, you know, after the pilots went through what, through their training, they have to go through the survival school and then they go on to their base and they start flying, accumulating and growing up through the ranks and becoming a four-star general and, and you know, <laughs> saving the world. Yeah. And, and so there were many, many times when I would be on top of the mountain with my students and the weather would be perfect. The students were great. They weren't whining and complaining. <laughs> and I would just, you know, and then just this moment of warmness would overwhelm me. And I was like, I can't believe that I am getting paid to do this. Cause I would yeah. literally pay to do this yeah. job. And here I am doing mm -hmm. it. And uh, unfortunately after eight years, the the Air Force wants you to start supervising, mm -hmm. you know, what we call fly a desk. Yeah. And I was not interested in that at all. I could I could have branched out into different parts of the survival school. Right, go to like parachute shop or to water flight or, or RT. RT, you yeah. know, resistance training. I, I could have done that. Uh, I could have gone to ITB. I could have, you know, mm -hmm. been, been a staff sergeant and still do the job. Right. But at that point, I was like, I'm, I'm just delaying the inevitable. You know, this, I'm 28 years old. This is a good time to get out of the military and start my own survival school. Yeah. And so 1988, I was able to uh, get discharged honorably. Thank God. Yeah. And you know, it was really a bittersweet thing because because yeah. I loved the guys I worked with. I loved the job. And but you kind of saw the writing on the wall as far as you know. You got you have to balance doing your job or career progression, which you're encouraged and almost enforced into doing. Right, right, right. Uh, in the right. military, yeah. You know, in fact, um, I could remember, you know, being a buck sergeant, E4, yeah. which 
that's gone now. Apparently. It is. Yeah. It's a senior yeah. airman now. Well, no, that's good enough. That probably would have <laughs> made it so I could stay with my job. Yeah. But you know, it, uh, on the books, you could be an E4 for 20 years and retire. Right. Yeah. But in reality, they're not going to put up with that. No. And so I would go in to take the test, you know, for E5, yeah. I wouldn't even open the book. Yeah. I would just, you know, fill Sign in the name. little circles yep. and just go down the page. And I almost passed one time. And I was <laughs> I've, like- I've heard of a couple of people that have done that. That was like, yeah. that is nuts. So then thereafter, I would just do the same column. Yeah. There's no way you could pass oh, yeah. if you just circle in all the A's, right. you know, or ones, whatever it was. Yeah. And, and so they were like, my, my squad leader was saying, Mike, you know, you, you can't keep doing that yeah. and expect it to go for yeah. well for your career. Right. And especially that's weighed very heavily in the air force. And, and, oh, and I can't yeah. speak to other branches, but it's, I mean, career progression in the air force is really, you know, they look at that and especially from an academic side of the house, it's really, I mean, you're judged heavily on that. Oh yeah, because they're thinking of you know what are you going to be like as a chief, right? Yeah, you know, when we send you to the Pentagon, right? And that's always the the mindset of leadership, right? Which is isn't a bad thing, but it it's, right, it, right. it's problematic for guys like you, guys like me that kind of just want to do the job and right. be with the boys all yes. the time, you know. So I just wanted a pack yeah. and, and a crew, you know, yeah. just send me out in the wilderness with my guys yeah. for for a week and let me teach them everything. Right that you want me to and everything I want to. Well, let's, let's talk about, let's talk a little bit about training. So I, um, the, I mean, the pipeline is a little, is a little strenuous, you know, like, yeah, I, it is. It, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. What, what struggles did you have during training? So, phys so physically for me, it was easy because I was more than physically fit enough to do it. Cause it's not super strenuous, right? you know, because, um, you know, we're not special forces, mm -hmm. you know, we're not the 180 pound guys who can, yeah. you know, carry six guys over a log, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're ATC, we're instructors, right. mm -hmm. you know, but you, you do have to be pretty tough, but mostly yeah. tough minded. Right. And because if they're going to trust you with 10 or more of these highly trained pilots in the wilderness, where their life is literally in my hand and based mm -hmm. on my judgment and my experiment, uh, experience that is, uh, probably was an experiment, but <laughs> but my my experience level, and you know, I'm 21 years right. old. E, what E2, E3? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I went in as a no striper and and finished ITB uh, tech school as yeah. a as a two striper, and you know, and now they this this to me was was a growing up thing for me, right? You know, I mean, at 61, I'm still growing up. I will probably <laughs> never stop growing up yeah. and, and maturing and solidifying as a, mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a part of this world. But at 21 years old, these people, amazing people, trusted me to go out there right. and teach these guys how to survive and bring them back alive at the yep. end of the day, every day. Yeah, and and bear in mind, you know as you're listening to this, this is the only career field in the Department of Defense that you go into and you leave technical training with an instructor badge. It's the only one. And Interesting. It's, so, and I didn't even completely realize that until I actually heard it while I was there. And they're like, you know, hey, these are, this is the only career field that you go into training as a student and leave as an instructor for air training command. And on top of that, you're an E2 or an E3 and you're taking 
not just other E2s and E3s into the woods and through this training endeavor that is a requirement for them, but you're leading them and you're in charge. So it's, I mean, it's, it's right. a lot of responsibility very early in your career and for in, in turn, most of the time, very early in your life. And, and life, right. Yeah. I mean, how, how many men grow up by the time they're 21? Right. Very few. None of us do. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, um, but I was that, that, that trust brought out of me a, a faithfulness and, and a work ethic where I wanted to do really, really well, because I wanted to honor that trust. I wanted that trust to be something that they were glad that they put in me. And I was very, very, very motivated to be an excellent instructor. Yeah. And, and in order to do that, I had to know what I'm teaching and I had to be able to teach it in a way that these students who really, most of them didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're flying along at Mach 2, yeah. dropping bombs way behind enemy lines, none of them feel like they no. have a chance of survival on the ground. No. So you got to work around that and bring them to the table, highly motivated to learn survival. And the best way to do that is the old adage, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. Yeah. And so as soon as all of these guys realize that I am thoroughly invested in their ability to survive and come back, you know, learn to return and be part of the mission again. And so out of respect for my love of the job and for them, they got into it. Yeah. And that was a great thing. I never expected that. Right. I did not realize that that them wanting to please me was an excellent source of motivation yeah. for people who otherwise wouldn't want to be there. Yeah. And, and it's, it's an interesting concept as an instructor as a whole, because that's something I, I dealt with is coming out of the military and teaching now civilians and every, and our neighbors and our communities of people, there's a huge almost mentality shift in people because it is like that, you know, in the military, it's like, Oh, here's another, especially as an aviator, you're like, Oh, here's another school I got to mm -hmm. do another box. I got to check. But when you realize somebody as an instructor, we've all had them, whether you're in a public school, a college, whatever, you've had a teacher, an instructor that's kind of gets up and goes through the motions mm -hmm. and gets you your, your credentials, whatever it is. But then you've had one teacher that's like, it, it just, they suck you in and they, yes. and they, they encapsulate all those things and concepts they're, they're even teaching to you. And especially um, in a narrow niche of survival, mm -hmm. I mean, when you're displaying skills to people and they see how proficient you are and they see how knowledgeable you are, they're immersed in that experience and they're there whether they like it or not. But when you can, like you said, capture that audience and really bring them in. And now they're like, you're a team of people working together yes. for a common goal. I mean, that it's a unique position to be in as an individual, but it's a unique position to be in as an instructor where you have to right. have a paradigm shift because I mean, and you, I'm sure you know this from your own company, which we'll talk about, you know, in a few minutes, but teaching here at Fuelcraft Survival, I don't have to necessarily worry about motivating my students. You know, they've, they've paid to come to a course. They're motivated right. to be there. So it's, it's a different mentality as an instructor stepping into that. But yes. it, I think that there's a lot to be said and will make you a better instructor when you do come from that world of like, okay, I've got to convince these guys that this information is important. I got to convince them that I care. And now I got to convince them that they need to care and doing right. it in this cohesive way. It's, it's a really unique aspect to, to teaching and being in the military. And, and it's, and it's a wonderful way just to live as a human being, it is. you know, like to father your children, to be a husband to your wife, to be a friend to your neighbors. Um, 
when they know that you are a caring, compassionate, um, motivated person who loves life, who loves what they're doing, right. that has a, an amazing effect on the people around you, which then doubles back and, and has a yes. wonderful effect on you. Yep. And it's that sense of community. Yes. You know, yes. You know, like we're humans. Yeah. You know, we got a great role on this planet. You know, we were, we were, you know, created and designed to be, uh, on this planet in a way that's good for everything in the planet, good right. for the environment, good for the animals, good for everything. So live your life that way so that your world is as good as it can be because you are being who you do or designed to be. That's awesome. That's such a good motto. Like, gosh, man, we could almost end the podcast on that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to interrupt this podcast for just one second and talk to you about our sponsor for today's program, and that is Athletic Greens. So Athletic Greens is a health and wellness company that makes the comprehensive daily nutrition that you need really, really simple. Uh, I've been using the AG1 for a little bit, a little while now, and it's just one little scoop. Take it, dump it into my water, shake it up, drink it, and I get to bypass all the fast food nastiness on the way out to the field. Uh, whether I'm teaching a class or hunting, taking some photos, whatever it is I'm out doing uh, that day. And it helps me feel good about that choice and I actually feel a lot better while I'm in the field instead of crumping because I ate something nasty and gross. And the AG1 actually contains 75 vitamins and minerals and it's all whole food sourced ingredients. So uh, it's lifestyle friendly, whether you're doing the keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free or gluten-free contains less than one gram of added sugar and there's no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. So, and it actually tastes really good. I don't know if you guys have had any of the competitors of this in the past. I know I have, and it tasted like I was chewing on a handful of dirt and this stuff is actually really good. I was pleasantly surprised when I, I tried it for the first time. So uh, join the movement of athletes, moms, dads, rookies, and first timers and everyone in between taking ownership of their daily health and focusing on the nutritional products that they really need in the simplest manner possible. That's the essential nutrition. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting, free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft today, it's down in the show notes, guys. That is athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft today. All you got to do is head over to the website, and take control of your health and give AG1 a try today, guys. So, and there's so many, so many amazing um, accounts and memories that I have of being a survival instructor. And um, some students um, just really stand out, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and in fact, there was kind of a genre of students, like all of the ones who are PJs. Yeah. You know, the pararescue guys, they were fantastic students, but kind of like a Malinois, you need to challenge them physically, intellectually, because these guys are so physically fit. They're, they're powerful people and they're super motivated and they can do 10 times more than what the syllabus requires of them. Right. And so you need to provide that for them. Mm -hmm. So there'd be so many times that I, we would uh, be you know, hiking along and there would be a log across the creek and you, you have all the other students just go around this way where it's yeah. easy to get across, yeah. but not the PJ. Yeah. So I'll drop my pack and I'll fall down the ground and grab my ankle. It's like, like, Emin Jones, Emin Jones, 
man, I just busted my ankle and we got to get across this, this yeah. creek on this log to get to the other side. Helps on the other side. I need you to get, drop your pack. And, and it just immediately he yeah, knows we're role playing yeah. now. And it is so phenomenal to see a well-trained PJ um, drop his pack and he just gets totally into it. It's to him, yeah, it's training, but for for real, you know, in yeah. his mind, it becomes very real. And he knows I'm not hurt, right. you know, that I'm just, we're just, yeah. we're just doing this to make this, right. you know, a teachable moment. And so, man, and, and, you know, I weigh 165 pounds. That's, that's not a lot, but it's not a little either. No. And so this guy just reaches down and just throws me up on his shoulder. And you can feel in that one arm that this guy could do that times three. Yeah. You know, and he just throws you on his shoulders and he's got the fireman carry. He's got his, his trekking pole, you know, and he good across that log and every steps he takes across that log, it doesn't feel like he's going to teeter and fall off at any moment. Yeah. It feels as solid as, as yeah. a rock, you know? Yeah. And then, and then I'm just, I get kind of uh, emotional. I'm actually a very emotional person. I can cry over pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah. And I'm okay with that because yeah. you know, I'm, I'm comfortable in my skin and I'm yeah. okay with crying. Awesome. And so I can just feel the power in this guy. And I'm like, this is an American soldier. Yeah. This who is in the military. And this is the guy who's going to go out there and save people someday yeah. in, in a real conflict. Yep. And I am just so proud of my country yeah. because this is what we're made yeah. of. This guy right here. Yeah. And this is, and that's like, and the, the best part of that is knowing that you're a part of the apparatus that makes our war fighters yes. more capable. And yes. it's like when you, when you step back and you look at it as a whole, that warrior is now more complete because yes. of the component that you added to that. You were just a sliver of the pie. Yes. That's your that's your part of the mission. And it's yeah. it's amazing. I mean, you get me fired up just hearing you talk about it with passion because yeah. a lot of people are quick to downplay other roles and, and responsibilities mm. in the military. But no. I mean, it's critical. Everybody's piece is critical because when those guys really do go out and there's people that really do need the help, having a, a competent guy on the end of that yeah. phone call or on the end of that radio transmission, that's what we're all striving to have. And that's what we all want. And especially yes. being a part of that survival community of people. I mean, that's the bread and butter of what that community is. And so when you're supporting that, I mean, it, it, if that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what does, you know? Well, and for that for that young man, he's just a young guy like me. And as I got older, you know, and I was Sergeant Lowe, not Airman mm -hmm. Lowe. And then these guys are still, you know, straight out of PJ school. They're still Airmen's. Right. And so for, for Sergeant Lowe, to to say, man, I believe in you. You are an amazing, awesome person. I am so proud of you. I'm so glad you're a part of this military machine, that you're a part of making America the greatest nation in the yes. world. And dude, I, you know, your parents raised a good yeah. man. And yeah. man, thank you so much for, for your yeah. service. And you know, that just is, is like the bread and butter of yeah. life is for someone to validate you. And, and we need to do more of that. You know, we need to just brag people up. And if it goes to their head, misfire. But you know mm -hmm. what? What about all the people that it goes to their heart? Yeah. You know, and it just makes them a better person. I'm willing to risk it. You know, sometimes you do get, it feels like I probably better preface what I'm going to say to this guy is I do, please don't let this go to your head. But I want to say you're an amazing, awesome human yeah. being. You got such raw talent and ability. You keep nurturing that. You keep working on that. And you're going to be why this is a great and powerful nation and a wonderful planet. Yeah, man, you know? that's awesome. So 
you know, gosh, man, I'm fired up from that. Um, <laughs> but that being a part of one aspect of what you did, I mean, was there anything that you act that that you struggled with in training at all? You know, I think I was probably the hardest on me than anything because I realized what my role is and what my responsibility is within the scheme of things so right. far as the Air Force is concerned, so mm -hmm. far as the United States is concerned. And and as a, a as a Christian, you know, so far as God is concerned, you know, and so everything I, I do in life, I do with the knowledge that I'm either adding to the problem or a part of the solution. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm either making this a great place or I'm making it a bad place. So everything I think, say and do, that factors into it, not not in a stressful way, but in a motivating way. Right. And so if if I got 10 students and I can't engage the one, that becomes my challenge. Right. You know, it's like I need to interact with this person in such a way that I can bring them in so that they feel a part of this this fantastic team, this unit, this this the bigger picture and all of that. And sometimes maybe they got an issue at home. You know, their their mother mm -hmm. is sick and in hospital right. and so they're stressing out about that. You know, so just sit down with them and say, "Hey, Let's, let's talk about this because that matters too. It does. You know, what's what's happening home matters and it matters to me because I care about you. Right. And if whatever it, it is at home is distracting you from what needs to be happening now also, um, I, I want to make it all work. Right. So number one, I care about your mother. Is there anything that you want me to pray for? Because yeah. I am gonna talk to God about this and if that matters to you, then it matters to me. And there was more than, I, I can't think of any time where when I got close enough to a student to be able to figure out why they're not engaged and then to, to try and like deal with that, where offering to pray for their family member or to pray for whatever issue it was that was um, interfering with right. their ability to give their whole heart and soul into learning survival. Mm -hmm that prayer is what it took. Wow. Just praying, just saying, God, you've got this under control. Work with this person's family and give peace of mind to my friend right now so that they could learn the survival skills. And then there'll be time enough after this to get home and be with their family. Yeah. And as soon, you know, there would be tears, they'd be crying, there'd be hugging. And then there would be a commitment, there would be a new student, there would be yeah. the alive, a, bribe, a, a vibrant and involved student. Yeah. And it was just thrilling to see that over and over and over again, just work. Whatever it is about prayer, whatever yeah. your attitude and philosophy about prayer is, it's an amazing thing. Because mm -hmm. when you do it, the empirical evidence is speaks for itself. Right. Well, and that, and that talks about, and, and you learn this in the military, but you don't really see it in action until either you do it yourself or maybe you have a really good uh, friend, instructor, NCO, something like that. But they talk about your mental health, your mental, your mental well-being, your physical well-being, and your spiritual well-being. Yeah. And those are like your pillars that that make up you as a person yeah. that that really is like your full, that's you as a human, whatever your mm -hmm. mental status, your physical status and your spiritual status are. And it doesn't even matter if you're a religious person, if you're a spiritual person or not, there's some entity there that it's gotta be nurtured. It's gotta be taken care of. You can't neglect it you and can't. expect to thrive. Absolutely. You know, so, you have to account for it one way or another and there's a gazillion ways to do yes. it. And, you know, um, embrace it, 
let it do its, uh, let it be what it's supposed to be in your life. Another thing that was um, a challenge uh, for me uh, as you know, training to become a survival instructor and, and then being a survival instructor was um, letting people down. Mm. You know, it's like disappointing somebody. So I had, because I knew in, in my heart that this guy was my ITB instructor in training, uh, uh, instructor training branch instructor. And he was taking pride in his work Right. And if I'm failing as a student, then he is suffering as an instructor because, you know, he's just pouring his whole heart and soul into this. And there's this one kid who's not getting it. And so I, I didn't manage that well early on in life. You know, not, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily a people pleaser to the point where it like ruins my life, but I wanted to do well enough for myself and then well enough for my instructor, because I wanted my instructor to be proud of me so he could be proud of himself. Yeah. You know, because I really cared about how how he felt. Right. And and not all instructors made that easy. No. You know, <laughs> some of them um, kind of operated under the auspices that they had to be really hard and rough with their students. Yeah. Um, and part of that is built into the program, Correct. you know, where they needed to stress us so that they knew that we can handle stress under all circumstances. And then from that infer that this guy could handle the stress with his students if something went wrong, right. that we know this guy is good at managing stress. So I knew that that was part of it, you know, um, yelling, screaming, making you do push-ups, making you do right. something over and over again, uh, actually telling you that you're an idiot, that you're not right. gonna graduate. Yep. I remember them, uh, one of their, <laughs> It was really funny, but it was actually aggravating and irritating at times. I can remember getting angry even. Yeah. Is, you know, I, I would be struggling at something, you know, like maybe remember when you had to tread water and oh, build yeah. your metal match fire on top of a raft in the <laughs> pond, you know, it's like, I'm not a very good swimmer, you know, so you'd have to kick real hard so that you can get a good stroke on your metal match or ferro rod and get that pitch wood burning on your little floating raft. And so I was having a hard time with that. And so my instructor would swim up to me and, and say, come on, Lo, come on, Lo, let me hear you say it. Over easy, how do you want your eggs? Come on, Lo, mm -hmm. come on, you know, so you're going to fail, you're going to drop out, you're going to quit, and you're going to be a cook in the dining hall and the chow hall, and, and, and you're going to ask me how I want my eggs cooked and how I want my <laughs> potatoes. Come on, let me hear you. Over easy, <laughs> over easy. And I'd be yeah. like, screw that, dude, I'm going to get yeah. this fire started and get out of my face. There was a couple times where I wanted to backhand a guy, yeah. which would be end of career and I'd yeah. be flipping eggs for sure, <laughs> you know, but, um, and so all of that tied together with me not wanting to fail so I didn't disappoint myself or anybody else. Um, that was that was the trick to be able to get that. And I can remember uh, doing uh, the uh, the AEF training, Assisted Evasion Forces. Mm -hmm. and, and at one point I was in an outhouse in the wilderness and I didn't know it, but they had put tape on the door. So they knew if I had gotten out and the rule was you got to stay in here. Don't you come out because right. you don't want to screw around with AEF because at any moment, if they decide you're a spy, you're dead. Yep. You know, you want to do whatever it takes for them to believe that you're an American soldier, that you are there because you need their help. And now my government is going to give you a bunch of money if you do it. And so that's a dance, a delicate dance, a dangerous dance, Very. working with AEF, as you know, from the training that, you, that you've gone through. 
And so it was, you know, late February, excuse me, October, and it was getting super cold in there. My issue boots were not cutting it. Yeah. My feet were getting really cold. I did all the jumping up and down in this confined space. And, and I finally started getting angry. You know, I was expecting, you know, hey, you have to come back in an hour, two hours, three hours. After being in that thing for like six hours, my feet were frozen. I thought, this is stupid. This is reckless. This is yeah. inhumane. Um, I'm going to break protocol. I'm going to step out of role playing. And if they were here, I'd cry Mike, which means I need a medic. I need a shrink. I'm not in a good space here. And so they never showed up. So I just said, screw it. So I broke the door open and I went out into the, into the, into the forest and yeah. built a fire, got my feet all warmed up and everything. And it was like, they still hadn't showed up. So I ran back into the outhouse like nothing had happened, but I didn't remember, I didn't know about the tape. Oh. So they show up, they see the tape and then they yank me out of there and start rolling me and mm. beating me up on the ground. And you remember all the cool mm -hmm. things they could do. They just couldn't break your bones or make you bleed out of anywhere of your head, you know, but yep. they can sure beat you up pretty good yeah. otherwise. And it didn't always feel good. You know, in fact, it felt rotten. And so by now I'm mad and I'm ready to SIE, you yeah. know, uh, self-initiated uh, self elimination. I was ready just to quit because I was so mad that my country was betraying me and trying to freeze my feet off, you know? Yeah. And, and I was completely in a bad place and everything else was compounding. And so they throw me in the truck and Sergeant House gets in the truck with me. And he goes, um, and he didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And so I'm ranting and raving and I'm angry and I'm cursing and I'm calling him an idiot. I'm calling him irresponsible. I'm calling everything just wrong and this is dangerous. And don't you care about people? Don't you know that I want to be a good soldier? Don't you know I want to do the best for this career? I want, you know, I was just angry and angry and I went on for a good long while and he yeah. just, he just stared at me patiently. And the guy could have been an angel in disguise. You know, yeah. it's just amazing how he handled it. And as soon as I didn't have anything else to stay, say, and I was just looking at him and he was looking at me. And then he just reaches out, puts his hand on my shoulder, on my so shoulder, and he's just staring at me, staring at me, staring at me. And that's it. And I could tell that this guy cares. He understands. He wants me to succeed. He wants me to do well. He never said a word. So I just opened the truck door, got out, disappeared into the woods. Picked up where I left off and all was well. Nothing, nothing was ever said yeah. about it. Wow. And and I love that man. He yeah. just died recently. Man. And I just shared his testimony on on one of the the, the uh, survival circle oh, cool. chat site, you know, yeah. and Sergeant House, amazing. God bless you. Yeah. You know? That's amazing, man. And you know, it I had a few of those instructors while I was there. I had yeah. I had a few that you know, I didn't like as much. I had a few that I really liked, you know. Right, and and right. again, I think they play the their role very well. But it really, really was a role. It is, yeah. And but it's it's needed, especially as a young, you know, yeah. young man in the military, just as a young man in general. But you need that mentorship sometimes. And sometimes it is as simple as not saying anything. And I, I remember being an NCO and having airmen uh under me. And sometimes it's like, well, it, I mean, it's like sometimes you you owe them the enforcement of whatever it is that, you know, they're not right. doing correctly. But sometimes you know, and as you kind of learn to lead, not just be in, in charge, but learn to lead, mm -hmm. you learn to assess people and assess what it is that they really need. Sometimes they do need to be counseled. Sometimes they just need to know that you care. Right. Sometimes they just need to know that you're in their corner, you're on the same team, fighting the same problems. 
and that you want people yeah. to succeed. And yes. so that's a, a huge, I, I had a few of those moments while I was in where I had nice. someone kind of take me under their wing and, yes. and actually, you know, kind of put me back on the straight and narrow and when I could have been crushed right. and, and, you know, who knows what would have come had it been handled differently, but it, it's kind of awesome to hear that, you know, other people's experiences through that. Right. Man, that's yeah. awesome. So, um, as you tr decided, cause you said, you know, when it kind of came time to, to fly a desk and you're like, well, I'm kind of seeing the writing on the wall. You decided to go ahead and ETS, get out of the air force. And then what were your first steps? What were you thinking? Well, I was thinking, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, what, I mean, the only thing I'm passionate about that I, that I knew of at the time was, you know, teaching people how to survive in the wilderness. And so I just started, um, getting requests to be a survival instructor for a group. Mm. You know, a church would call up and say, hey, we got a bunch of young people who love the outdoors. Would you be willing to come and, and share with us some survival skills? You know, the kind of stuff that you can legally do, because I know there's a bunch right. of yeah. top secret stuff that you can't share and whatever. It's all classified, but the things that you can share. And I went, you know, like, yeah, sure, I'd love that. So then um, by the time I got out of the Air Force, I had had these little classes lined up in, you know, a couple months into the future. And I was like, huh, I wonder if I could do this and make a living at it. Right. You know, back in the eighties, you know, the, the, this whole survival, um, rush that's happening now since Les Stroud started doing yep. his TV show and then Bear Grylls jumped in there. And now, um, there's all these YouTube channels, Whereas there only used to be a handful of civilians who could teach survival, right? Because it wasn't popular in the seven, you know, in the seventies, it started coming back just a little bit with the hippies, you know, yeah. and then it started becoming more and more of a thing over time. But then survival television shows just created this burst like surge, explosion yeah. of survival experts. Yeah. So now where there used to be a handful, now there are hundreds and hundreds of people who call themselves a survival expert, who have survival schools. And, and it's so easy now to be a part of a survival program. But early on, it wasn't that way. So I'm thinking, could I actually make a living at doing this? Who in the world would pay to learn how to survive in the yeah. wilderness? And well, God knew. And so my next um, class that I had scheduled, and I'd never charged any money for anything before, you know, was um, a group of immigrant workers in Yakima, Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin's getting ready to head to Yakima, yeah. so, or out, outside of Yakima, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, Goldendale. And um, and so I went there and I said, you know, you know, immigrant workers, poorest of the poor, right? Mm -hmm. So I says, okay, guys, uh, through a translator, um, I am trying to figure out if God wants me to do this as a business, you know, to, to, to make enough money to support my family, you know, house, car, three kids, a wife, the whole thing. And, and so I need a certain amount of money every month for that to happen. And so I don't expect to get that all from one class, you know, but over time I, you know, I expect to be able to, to be able to provide for the family, not just barely, you yeah. know, not, not on food stamps or whatever, but yeah. to really, really, really do it. And so that's all I said. I said, at the end of this class, if you feel so impressed, then donate some money, what, whatever yeah. God puts on your heart. So I just pour out my heart and soul all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Sunday afternoon, we're done, I'm leaving. People are coming up, shaking my hand. Ah, senor, gracias, gracias, senor, gracias. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the padded handshake. So there's, you know, there's some money in my hand. Put it in my pocket. 
there was only 23 people. Wow. And so I, my pocket is bulging. I'm thinking they're $1 bills. Yeah. I get my card. I'm heading home. I'm going back to Spokane. I you know, just got out of the military, so I still live in the oh, area yeah. near Fairchild. And so I can't stand it. I pull over at the first uh, truck stop <laughs> or a rest stop. Yeah. And I reach in there and I pull it out and I'm counting. Most of them were $100 bills. Wow. And I'm like, I'm crying like a baby now because, you know, my yeah. answer to my question, can I do this as a living, is, is I got enough money to live for three months out of that one group. Wow. One group, poorest That's of the poor. That's amazing. And so I'm just thrilled because yes, I get to continue to teach wilderness survival yeah. and I can do it um, for um, civilians. Wow. You know, cause remember all of the, um, the PRs, did you yeah. do a bunch of those? Mm -hmm. I love the public relations, yeah. teaching, you know, working with the community yeah. and all that. Mm -hmm. That was my favorite thing. Most people didn't want to do it. I say, pick me, pick me. Yeah. You know, I'll do it, I love them. You know, during, during the in-between weeks yeah. there. And so, it was very obvious. So for 33 years now, I have been able to um, provide for my family on love offerings. That's amazing. Just the coolest. I don't charge a dime. Just whatever God puts on your heart. And of course, you know, you need to pay for me to get there and back, feed me when right. I'm in the area. I'll bring my own tent and all of that. Yeah. And so over those 33 years that Wilderness Way Adventures has been, you know, my only source of, of income, my only job, I've been able to travel all over North and South America, including um, Hawaii and, and Alaska, over and over again, um, multiple times in lots of different places around, even here in Heber City, I've done quite a few classes. Wow. And, and the thrilling thing of it is, is, is I don't have to just restrict my survival training to Spokane or, right. or, or Cusick, yeah. you know? And so I've been all over the country, North and South America, in the Caribbean, and, and the business got pretty big after a while. We started doing university programs. We wrote some um, curriculums for a four-year degree undergrad programs. Wow. So we were doing a, a university in Nebraska and one in, in California. Uh, we were teaching um, survival, search and rescue using wraps and ropes rafts and ropes to rescue people stranded right. or lost in the wilderness. Uh, it was just a booming business. Ended up having several people working in on it. And, uh, you know, of course, with the university programs, that was a set cost, you know, because right. they have tuition and all that. But the majority of it was just all love offerings. And just back in 2016, I, I sold off all of that part of it and not doing the university programs anymore. I'm just back to the, the, the beginning. Yeah. So someone over in New York will say, hey, Mike, we're up here in upstate New York, uh, New York, and can you come out here and teach me and my friends how to survive in our neck of the woods? And so, yep, 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 I'll fly into Rochester, come and pick me up, we'll go out there and we're gonna make this happen. This is gonna be a good time. You're gonna feel better about yourself. You're gonna feel better about your family, your ability to survive out in the wilderness. Right. And I'm gonna show you how to use wet wood and a spark Yep. And, and to survive. And I'm yeah. also going to show you how to rub two sticks together and to survive. Yeah. And you're going to know the plants that are edible. You're not even going to know their names, but you're going to know they're edible because there are plant principles mm -hmm. that I can share with you. I can share with you five plant principles in about five minutes, and you're going to know over 5,000 plants are edible worldwide. Wow. Don't know their name. Don't know their scientific name. And all you know is this fits the characteristic mm -hmm. of that principle. I can eat this and I can live. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing how you can, and, and, you know, I've experienced in, in personally, when you, 
push yourself towards something that you're really passionate about and you really find your niche, you find what it is that you feel you're put on this earth to do. Mm -hmm. Somehow it always works out. And I, I'm living that myself right now. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I got out of the military. I was like, Mm, I, there, I just feel there's something else I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And, you know, I was able to get in with this company and and very much like you said, I'm like, wow, this really just happened. I, I literally told myself and even my parents, I'm just going to go with this until I hit a closed door. And I never hit, I haven't hit a closed door since. So it's, I, yes. I can resonate with that a lot. Guys, I'm going to interrupt the podcast for just a second and talk to you about a sponsor. And that is Bespoke post. So this fall, as you get back into the swing of things, Bespoke Post is here with a new seasonal lineup of must-have box of awesome collections. Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you the most unique goods every month. So in my first box of Bespoke Post, I actually um, crushed it and got some really cool outdoor camping gear that I actually put into my bag to teach with. So if you come take a survival course with me, I'm actually going to be using some of those items and I keep them in there and I actually have a few things I put into my SAR bag as well. So no matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered from autumn craft beers to cozy threads and camping gear essential. Box of Awesome has a collection for every part of your life. So it's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel at any time. Uh, they release new boxes every month and across a ton of different categories. Each box costs only 45 bucks and has over $70 worth of gear inside. Plus, each box of awesome, you're supporting a small business. 90% of everything that comes in your box of awesome is from a small up-and-coming brand. So get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter code FIELDCRAFT at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com. Use code FIELDCRAFT, and it'll save you 20% on your first box. Um, within your your business and what you're, you're teaching, what are your primary courses? Do you kind of just always try to cater it to the student, or do you have like some that you already pre-planned? Yeah, it's always a custom. So someone will call up, and it's all word of mouth. I don't do any advertising. Um, I never had to. It was just amazing, you know, that, that you can, you can do a business without advertising, without fighting hard to, to get clients, get customers, get students. Um, and it's a good thing because I don't think I have that ability. I'm not a (laughs) businessman, you know, and yet, you know, I'm running a business to me. It's like when the air force, we never felt like we were in the air force. (laughs) I always felt like I was part of a camping club, you know, and every once in a while you'd have to salute somebody and it always felt weird because normally when you're out in the field, you don't don't salute, salute, you know, and, and here I am as a, as a, as a young airman or, or a young sergeant, and I've got majors in, in light colonels and full birds. A couple of times I even had full birds yeah. in my class. And, you know, it's like they're looking to me for answers. How cool is that? And so the, the programs that I do are all custom. So there isn't like one set class that you have to do, whether you want to or not. And so we'll talk about it. So it's like, what are you guys really interested in? What, what sounds fun for you? And they were like, well, you tell us. Okay, so here's what normally people really like. They love the edible plants. They love traps and snares. They love building fires with the metal match or what some people call a feral rod. Unfortunately, more and more people are calling it a feral rod. Mm. When I first heard that term, feral rod, I thought of, you know, King Pharaoh and, yeah. and Moses, you know. Yeah. like, you, you know what I mean? Like a walking stick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> feral rod. No, yeah. feral cerium. Yeah. And, and so, and also how to rub sticks together to make fire. 
And then, uh, you know, how to make water safe to drink, you know, is that water safe to drink? If not, what can you do to make it safe to drink? So in this weekend, we're going to touch on a lot of different things and you're going to learn some really valuable skills that I hope you never forget because you practice all the time, but you're also going to, um, learn how to use those skills as object lessons in life. You know, how to be a better father, how to be a better mother, how to be uh, a better employee, you know, um, making you a better human being because of what you've done. So we're going to get object lessons from this that is going to benefit you in every way you can imagine. Plus, it is really cool to believe in your heart that you can go in the wilderness with a knife and build a fire and get food and get water and come back out alive. Alone and unafraid, you know, and I, I love that. I say clothed it. and unafraid. Clothed, yes. Alone, clothed and unafraid. <laughs> yeah. I love the guys on Naked and Afraid. What they do is intense. Yeah. And I don't know that I would ever go into the jungle naked and yeah. get eaten alive by those I bugs. I don't think I could do it. I mean, I, I've talked to a couple of different um, TV networks about doing a few things here or there, but it's like, I always hear like naked and afraid and I cringe a little bit cause I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if that's for me, man. Like no. I just don't, <laughs> I mean, the naked part is not the problem. Being naked around another woman is not the problem. It's getting eaten alive by yeah. the bugs and having my junk in the dirt all yeah, the time. And sleeping in the nastiness while you're naked. Oh, I mean, clothing. Yeah. I mean, when you start to understand the principles of survival and you understand the concept of personal protection, your clothing is a huge part of that. That's right. And to me, stripping that away, I mean, that's a massive part of my security blanket and promoting my survival. So, I mean, I, hey, man, more power to them. But well, that's what I loved about being on alone, you know, yeah. is I got to choose 10 items out of a list of 40, and there wasn't anything not on that list that I wish there was. I mean, mm. of course, it would have been nice if, if we could have brought firearms, you know, right. to, to get animals and bring a tent and all of that. And there are some of the things that that I uh, would normally bring if I'm gonna go in the wilderness intentionally, right. planning to stay and not leave. Right. Is to, you know, wilderness, emergency wilderness survival is very different than wilderness living. Correct. And so we were kind of a combination of the two. So <clears throat> the program alone, is they're focused more on what do grown-ups do alone in the wilderness um, while filming themselves. Yeah, it, it's almost more about the psychology it is. than it is about the skill sets. And it is. you just, as a consumer of that show, you're seeing the skill sets as the byproduct of what this person's thinking and how their right. mind is, you know? So it's a, it's a heck of a show, you know? And I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome that you're on. And I, that's something I really wanted to talk to you about and get your perspectives on it and, and kind of let you tell your, your story with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, season one was a breakthrough and they had really good contestants on it, our participants that, that drew people in and make them want more seasons. So, you know, with uh, Sam Larson and Alan Kay, mm -hmm. you know, battling it out at the end there, having no idea what the yeah. other people is doing. You know, <laughs> you, when you're out there, you're literally alone. This is not some make-believe thing. I mean, they give us four cameras and, and a bunch of batteries and a bunch of cards and with a lot of rules and regulations, restrictions and protocols and say, now go out there and film yourself doing your thing, you know? Mm -hmm. and talk to that camera and tell us everything that's going on in your heart and mind. And, and we wanna know everything, we wanna see everything. 
you know, and we don't want you to hold back. And in fact, if you don't, there's a hundred thousand dollar hammer here that if you don't, <laughs> if you don't toe the line and play the game, we're going to fine you. And that they didn't need that to motivate me. All they needed right. to do was was bring us to uh, the the uh, blessing ceremony with the natives, um, um, gathered together and had this blessing for us, and to talk to the people afterwards and say, Mike, you know we. We're really happy that you could be on our land and doing this, but we really want you to respect um, what what our spiritual guide, our shaman, has has uh, demanded right. uh, of you in order for this to go well for you and for us. Because remember, you know, you've gotten permission to be on this land, and if you abide by our requirements, then all goes well for us. But if you break those rules and do anything that that our gods don't want you to do, then that's going to play out on us you know, well after you leave. And so please, and they're crying, you know, and they right. got their children, they're holding their little baby, you know, and saying, you know, we don't need a disease, you know, to come through and punish us because you, we let you do this show on our land and you didn't right. follow the rules. So that was my motivation more than anything. You know, the Canadian government was in on it. They had these restrictions, you know, what you can do and what you can't do. And so I was more than motivated out of, out of respect and love for the people. You know, to 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 play within the confines of what was necessary, and it was a lot of restrictions right. of things that we couldn't do and things that we could do, and so um, getting selected for the process was a wonderful thing. Going to boot camp, uh, what they called boot camp, you know, be, number one, being picked out of um, thousands of applications. I think they said there was something like fifteen thousand applications wow. for season two. And then they picked 20 people to go to New York out into the bush. And, and then out of those 20, they were going to pick the 10 for the show. Because right. you go out and you demonstrate your skills and abilities, right? And then they pick based off of how you perform right. from the, that 20. As part of the selection process, there was right. that too. So you have to you do all these Skype calls and interviews, and they're trying to feel you out and, and, and see if, if you got... You know, because they have 10 people in mind that they want. Mm -hmm. You know, For this season, we want these 10 people. We're going to go find those 10 people. You know, and it's not the same 10 as before. Right. You know, they want to tell 10 different stories. And I like that about alone is they don't try to tell the same story over and over and over again. Right. If you look at all the people who have been in all eight seasons, um, everybody is very different. There isn't anybody that you feel is, well, this is, you know, same old, same old. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful thing about the way they cast for alone. And, and they do a great job with that. And, and so um, being there, and sending in all your videos and they're kind of sizing you up and then at boot camp, then they're also looking at your personality. Mm -hmm. Is this the personality we want for this part? And not set necessarily all um, gregarious type people. Right. They want everybody in the spectrum. The full spectrum, yeah. You know, so they pick this guy or this girl who, who don't have the most winsome personality, but will look good on camera, or they don't have the most mad skills. Right. You know, so they expect these guys not to last very long, but then they're also willing to be surprised. Right. And they, and they pick varying skill sets, too. Like you have oh, yeah. some guys that are, I mean, primitive hunting techniques right. is their thing. And then you got guys or gals that the wild edibles and the right. or the gatherer side of the house is their strong suit. Yes. And so it's it's a really you do get some very unique perspectives in there. And um, as the seasons have progressed since I've seen it seems that they're going wider and casting the net wider and wider and wider and getting more unique people that have all these crazier yes. skill sets. So it, it's a unique show, man. It really is. And and they've thought it out well. 
And unfortunately, there's the rules and regs that restrict right. them. You know, it's not like like left field, the 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 production company who who produces the show and then History Channel buys it from them. Mm -hmm. So it's you know it's a product for right. History Channel, and they do have a say so in who's selected and where they go, and and some of the things that they can do and can't do. Right. Uh, History Channel has a little bit of say so in that, but it's really left field's baby. And the folks at left field are genuinely great men and women who truly care about you and want this to to, to play out safely, mm -hmm. but to be entertaining, very good for for um, you know for the uh, ratings and for making money, mm -hmm. you know. And so the money is being made, lots of it, right. and we got a little bit of it. Yeah, <laughs> even the ones who didn't get the half million at the end, uh, they were still paying us wow. uh, fifteen hundred dollars a week to be out there. Wow, that's awesome. And I actually thought I'd pay you fifteen hundred dollars a week to be out there. <laughs> yeah. Most of us felt that way. Yeah. In fact, there's there's probably thirty thousand people out that out there right now who have been trying to get selected right. for a loan who would be willing to pay fifteen hundred dollars. Oh, to be on it, yeah. you can't do it that way. You know, just yeah, liability laws don't allow it to play out like them. So some of the restrictions were in my in our case we were on Vancouver Island on the north end up by yeah. Quatsino Sound, and um, for reasons that make sense to the natives and to the Canadian government, uh, essentially what they told us is you cannot hunt anything with fur or feathers. Mm. So, man, all you can now, now there was a deer, the red deer up there that we could take. Um, I believe it was a buck, and I. Don't know if it mattered how many points it had or not, but in reality, they were all south. Right. They weren't anywhere near us. Yeah. I don't know of anybody that saw a deer out there. And so then the other thing we can do is we could take a bear that was a male bear. And I can't remember all the details, but it had to be a certain age and it couldn't be attached to a family or something like that. Gotcha. And so, but I was talking to the natives about it. And when you kill a deer, in that environment where they don't hibernate because you know the weather is such that right. they can just eat nonstop day after day all year long right these guys are full of of trichoma worms really yeah when you cut it open and it looks like a bowl of spaghetti in there just imagine a bowl of spaghetti oh, moving. moving yeah and all the meat is just infected oh, so the natives no. say we don't even eat those things it's too disgusting of course yeah. you can cook yeah you can get and, rid and of kill it. it and then eat it um but, but that, that plays a psychological effect on you as oh, well. Oh, you know? man, to see all those worms. My dog had heartworms one time. All I saw was the was the um, image of it, you know, the x-ray image right. of it. It disgusted me. My right. poor dog has got that in her little heart. Yeah. No, get them things out of there. Yeah. Um, so in reality, though, um, bears don't stay long. As soon as you move in, you might encounter the bears for a little while, but then they bug out. And then you have the area to yourself. You know, they give you five miles of beach and one mile inland, and that was our area. And and so, but my bears never left. Interesting. And I'm not sure. I think Nicole's bears didn't leave either. I think she kept seeing bears the whole time. Wow. And so, um, if you, when you watch alone, you see they're flying me in in this helicopter, and they're getting ready to land at this one beach. And there's three bears there, a mother and her and her larger juveniles. Right. And they run into the woods. So they land right there where the bears were, 
I mean, they're steaming piles of poo. Yeah. And then they drop me off and I do my, my little scene where, okay, I'm all alone and there goes the helicopter. Wow, this is amazing. Ah. Yeah. And then I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even have time to think of any of that stuff. What I did is I turned the camera on. I says, you see those trees swaying back and forth right there? There's no wind. You know what's causing that? Those bears. They're in there walking through there and they're bumping into those trees and that's yeah. why they're swaying back and forth. I mean, craziness. I'm right out here with all these bears. So right away at that point, it occurred to me, I hollered out to the bears, I will not exploit you if you don't kill me. Yeah. And, and so I, I stuck to that. I never filmed the bears and they were all around all the time. I, every night they'd go by the back end of my shelter within six feet, six of them, six bears, um, uh, four adults and two juvenile. And they were big bears, you know, five, oh, yeah. 600 pounds because oh, yeah. they're not sleeping. So they're just getting bigger and bigger. And did you know that big black bears make a mewing sound? I didn't. I did not know that either. Wow. So they would come by at night about 9.30, just about an hour after it was dark. Yeah. Uh, then they would go down to the beach and forage all, you know, all night long till right. about three or four in the morning. And then they'd go right back by my shelter and back into the woods and yeah. hang out until doing it all again the next day. And so the first one came up. This happened about three or four days into it. The first one came by my shelter and you could hear them coming along because they sound like this. Really? <laughs> it was the coolest little thing. And then they would stop. They were walking single file on a trail that they had created. It wasn't there because I would not yeah. have put my shelter oh, yeah. there otherwise. So they would stop right abreast of my shelter and I'm laying in there on my bed with just you know a, a thin piece of um, tarp between me and them, only mm -hmm. six feet away. And then they would go, <laughs> snort, 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 mew, mew, mew. And then he would walk on. Yeah. The next one would come and stop, do the same thing. Mew, 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 mew. And yeah. then go on. All six would do that. Wow. And then, and then several hours later, they'd come back by and do it all over again. <laughs> and that happened the entire time I was there. Wow. My bear never left. I never filmed him. I never harassed him. Uh, all during the day, I would talk out loud so that I wouldn't startle them right. when I was, you know, like foraging through the forest looking for the mushrooms and things. Um, amazing! Wow, uh, that is amazing to, to it, have the bears. It, like it, that. What's interesting is when you do spend a lot of time in the woods and um, you are around animals and things, you do hear animals make some really unique sounds. You know, like totally I, different. I've heard deer make some of the craziest sounds. I've heard deer that make this almost like a screaming kind of sound, I've heard you it. know, I've heard it. it's, it's odd. Right. And, and I, and I don't know if most people hear that or not, or if it's just a few of us that spend a lot of time out there, but right. it's unique, right. man. And it's, it's interesting to, to, to interact with wildlife like that, where in a very unique way, that's, you don't typically see as, you know, as a, you know, if you don't recreate in the outdoors frequently, you just don't aren't afforded those opportunities most of the time. But you might only see it on Animal Planet. Exactly. So <laughs> that's awesome, man. So the story about the bears was to say we were allowed to um, take bear. Mm -hmm. You know that that one um, category of bear, right. but then most of the bears would leave, and so so mine were there. I also had a philosophy on that is in that environment, it was a, you know, it's a temperate environment, it's a rainforest, mm -hmm. it wasn't getting cold yet. And so the idea of, of killing a bear and the majority of that meat going bad, because you know, you think, oh, just sun dry it. Yeah. No, it's a rainforest, so you're no, not sun drying not. it. Uh, well, I'll just smoke it. Well, 
firewood was a finite thing there because we could only take driftwood. We weren't supposed to take Ooh, wood from the forest. That's tough. You know, so driftwood, you know what driftwood is, is, is Western red cedar. Western red cedar doesn't, doesn't produce coals. No. It produces ashes. You know, so, you know, we did have um, Western yellow hemlock. It was all green. It would break away from the log rafts that were going down to the States mm. for, for the mill. And so you had all this green cut a hemlock that would wash up from that, that summer. And so you would have mm. to split that out into one little one inch by, by one inch by 12 inch sticks. And then I had them on a rack that they would dry and it would take three fish fires to dry enough um, of that yellow hemlock for one more fire. Wow. It was just crazy. You know, it was really a delicate dance because I, you know, I was just going to stick with the rules. I wasn't going right. to do anything off camera that, that wasn't required because out of respect for the natives, I didn't want them to fear for their lives because of something I did. Right. You know, and I yeah. just wasn't, that's just not how my soul rolls. And so when they told us you, two days before lunch, you know, oh, and by the way, um, you cannot take, hunt, kill, trap anything with fur and feathers. And I was like, hmm, okay, so that's a starvation thing. Yeah. You know, because the, the type of fish that you could catch with a gill net and just from strings from shore, right. there's not going to be enough fat content. Mm -mm. You know, the salmon run was almost over. Nicole was the only one who got salmon, oh, you know, and she got him a lot. Yeah, she, she, did, yeah. she was very <laughs> blessed with salmon even let one go one time, right. you know, and, Crazy. and, and it couldn't have happened to a better person, mm -hmm. you know, to be right there in salmon land, you yeah. know, and, and she used skill to get him. It's not an accident. Oh no, that you get no, no, no. Him. You know, so she really, you know, amazing woman, wow. just love her to pieces. And so, um, I'm thinking at, I was 55 years old when I did this show and I'm thinking, you know what? I cannot miss treat and abuse my soul temple because this buddy has got to last me to a hundred, Yep. you know, so I'm not going to sacrifice energy reserves trying to withstand starvation. Right. This just was not my calling in life, especially for a game show. Literally is oh, what it comes yeah, down to absolutely. a game show, just a TV show. And so I actually, I told him, he says, guys, I am not interested in doing this under these, these this new revelation. You know, I really don't want to do the show. Um, and we have two alternates. Can you please put one of them in my place? Right. And they were like, Mike, wait a minute. You're the only old fart. You know, we <laughs> need you. Yeah. You know, we need you on this show. We we did not get another 55-year-old guy to take your place. Right. And I said, I'm so sorry, guys, but I am not going to go out there and starve for yeah. a show. No. They said, Mike, isn't there anything we could do? No, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to do it. And then one of the guys, this is all the, uh, you know, the admin guys. Right. So then one of the uh, survival safety guys, you know, um, Dan was his name. Mm. So Dan says, Mike, come on, let's go for a walk. So Dan and I go for a walk and he says, I would do anything to be in your position. To, right. to, to be able to showcase my skills on TV, I would do anything to be in your place. I says, well, why don't you take my place? It doesn't work that way. It's not, it's not available to me. And he says, Mike, really, please do this show because I can guarantee you're gonna regret it if you don't. Right. And you will never regret it if you do. And I said, well, I don't wanna to starve to death. He says, you don't have to starve to death. So we talked about another way around it. And so I said, okay, thank you, Dan. We hugged, I love Dan, amazing guy. And, and so I told him the next day, a day before launch, he says, all right, I'm gonna do the show. 
but I need to rework my 10 items because I don't need a bow anymore, do mm-hmm. I? What am I going to nope. do? Yeah. What am I going to do with a bow? Target practice. You know, okay. <laughs> so ethically, I'm not going to kill this animal because uh, what I was getting at about the firewood is I cannot smoke this meat. The majority of this meat is going to go bad. Right. I might get 10, 20 pounds and the rest is going to go to waste and I'm going to kill an animal for that little bit. I just can't do that. Ethically, morally, yeah. I, I can't live with myself. Right. And I think most of us felt that way. I'm pretty sure. Um, now, if you could have taken the bear after the cold set in. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you can just freeze the freeze meat it. and then you're not, you know, freezing this wormy looking meat and you know if you're hungry enough that's what they say when when you find a bug in your cereal that's just more protein right yep (laughs) and so anyway um so i says i don't want the bow and i don't need the snare wire either do i well yeah yeah, but you could repurpose the snare wire for something else no i'm planning i'm i'm expecting to get plenty of 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 rope that washed up on the shore so i don't i don't need 550 cord I don't need snare wire. I don't need a bow and arrow. What I want to do is I want to replace the bow and the snare wire for food items. So I want two food items. So I brought out pemmican and trail mix. And I made up my own trail mix. So I got five pounds of each. Wow. So I went out there with that. Plus, as part of um, liability, safety, protocol, reality TV show, rules of, 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 of the whole game, they sent us out there with four pounds of duck fat and four pounds of general purpose flour. Mm. So I had that too. Right. So I knew that I could do 21 days without doing my, my body harm. Wow. So I told them, I'll, I'll give you 21 days and I'm going to go home. Yep. And they said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. In the back of their mind, they're thinking, we're coming out on day 20 and we're going to incentivize you until you choose to yeah. stay longer. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> and, and so I went out there with all that food. And plus, I was getting two fish every day. There was still berries, uh, right. lingering berries, and then there was plenty of plants that that I was harvesting. And and of course, you can't live off of seaweed. Seaweed no. is more of a more of a snack because it actually rob your body of yeah. trace minerals, yeah. so you don't eat too much of that. And uh, so I went out there and did my thing for 21 days. I had a lot of free time because food, water, firewood was was easy to come by. That became my enemy. My free time. Six hours of free time every day and then three hours of free time at night. Nine hours Mm. that I had to beguile, occupy somehow, some way, so I didn't go crazy (laughs) with with nothing to do. So that's why you see me on a loan just crafting things left and right. You know, I invented a football game, you know, a table game. I had a miniature golf course. I had a bowling alley. I had a gym. I did um, out and back treks all over the place all the time. Yeah. And and I had um, cool little traps and snares. I, I, I mm-hmm. So since I wasn't allowed to trap animals to kill them and eat them, so I used live animal traps and I set them up all over the place and I was catching mink and squirrel um, every day, sometimes twice a day. Wow. And then, you know, they'd have the game animal, the animal cams there and you could watch it. Unfortunately, none of that made it on television because you would see me show up and let it go say, I can't keep this, buddy, but I just want to let you know I can catch him. Yeah. If I had to, I would be doing really well out here. And all every night, a squadron of uh, honkers would come in, Canadian geese, and come in and land in my little cove, which on the map was called Nordstrom's. Uh, No kidding. (laughs) I was in Nordstrom's. (laughs) So I didn't know at the time, but it turned out to 
to be Nordstrom's because I had more stuff gifted from the sea yeah. than most people no uh, knew about. You saw the boat. Yep. That was one of the That's things, amazing. that big old plastic container that yeah. I turned into my sauna, my shower, and my boat. So smart. Yeah. I mean, you could literally run back and forth in the boat on the water and dance yeah. and everything. And, and so I went out there, I did my 21 days. It was just phenomenal, all the things that I got to do. Um, just the whole experience of being out there. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it was something that, that I had never anticipated was um, the hassle of filming. Mm -hmm. And what a hassle that was and how much time that took. Fortunately, I had plenty of time, but for some of the folks who were fighting tooth and nail for every stick of firewood and every morsel of food and every ounce of water, you know, they were just, it took all day long just to get enough to get by for that, that day. And then all over again the next day. And sometimes they went for three or four days without not getting enough. And so it was just a real fight and a real battle for some of them. And bless their hearts for pushing through it. I know those folks fought the good fight. You yeah, know? no kidding. And, and and we don't even know the half of it. We you know, From what you see on television, you do not get the sense of what it was truly like right. for it's them. It's a fraction of. Until you get to season six and seven. Oh, and yeah. The mm -hmm. editing on and, and the talent on season yeah. six and seven is, is the epic apex epitome of reality TV at its best, what it those is. guys yeah. did out there. Those yeah. guys and girls. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Phenomenal. All right, guys, I'm going to interrupt this podcast for just a second and talk to you about our sponsor, Manscaped. So uh, I'm the only resident, or I am the resident Native American here in Fuelcraft Survival. And I don't know if you know this or not, but we don't have much body hair at all. All my hair that it could potentially be on my body is on my head. So when we got our gear from Manscaped, um, I was nice enough to give mine over to my man, George Bell, because I don't know if you've seen any recent pictures, but my dude's hairy and it's out of control at times. And so uh, I passed it off to him and I can tell you, man, it changed his life. I've never seen a man go from something so maybe like Sasquatchy to like this clean, presentable, handsome dude that he is. And so I know head over, head over to George, George Bell's Instagram ask him about his Manscaped products and how it changed his life. It'll get you 20% off and free shipping if you use our code FIELDCRAFT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code FIELDCRAFT. Unlock that George Bell confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. While you were out there, you know, and and we're, we're actually planning out an, an LMS uh, right. video and some video content right now. We were doing that before this podcast, but on the psychology of being alone yeah. and, and how impactful it is when you don't have someone to talk to and you don't have someone to communicate with. And so while you were out there and what advice would you give that you used and maybe something you learned from that experience about combating that tough, like the resilience it takes to withstand being alone in a survival situation? For me, what it took was to imagine uh, being on the Truman Show. Mm. And if Interesting. those of you who haven't watched it, it was this guy thought he was living his life, but he was really a reality TV show. Right. And Jim Carrey nailed that yeah. role. You know, so I imagined myself being on the Truman Show where not just the viewing audience through my camera was watching me. That was huge. That was wonderful. I loved um, talking to the viewing audience through my camera. That was soothing, comforting, 
never felt alone because of it. You know, and, and although the, many times it was a hassle, going to get water, you had to set up the cameras this way and that way so the cameras didn't see one another so that you could watch really carefully what I was doing just to do 30 seconds of filling up my yeah. water bottle. And it took 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, and fortunately after a while, they started telling us, you don't have to film filling up your water bottle anymore. You don't have to film walking up and walking away from the camera anymore. Right. And I was like, thank God, because I was just about to quit doing it and rebel anyhow. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah. And so um, imagine, live your life all the time, whether you're surviving or not, just live your life in such a way that you believe everybody in the world is gonna see everything you ever thought, said, and did. That's powerful. Just live your life that way so that no matter who's watching, your mother, your daughter, your wife, uh, your pastor, whoever is watching this, that you could sit there in the room with them and watch it and be proud of it and never be embarrassed yeah. by, by what's being seen by everybody. Right. And that's a great that's a great way to look at it and we talked about this earlier too because um when we teach when i teach and i'm sure you do the same uh when you teach but when you talk about survival it's not like you don't want to have this meek like woe is me feeling to a survival situation no. you have to say okay i'm here i'm in this I, I'm going to take over this situation and I'm going to own this. And it's not out of arrogance. No, it's not out of arrogance, but it has, you have to put yourself into a, a mentality to thrust yourself through the situation because you have to go into it with a level of confidence. You have to go into it with a level of understanding, knowing, okay, I've practiced these skills. I've, I've honed my abilities. Mm -hmm. Let's get it on. Let's do this. And it, it's not as, again, it's not about, being arrogant or about trying to seem cocky in any way it's but it's just right. putting yourself in the correct mindset of like you know what i'm not just going to be like oh gosh like thank god rescue's here it's going to be like it's like what you were saying you know i, I want to be like hey go ahead and kill the chopper for a second i want you guys to come over here and see the shelter i built you know look at all the fire i made all the food i've got yes i'm good you guys want to hang out we can have dinner you know and it's uh, it, maybe it sounds like arrogance but it's not it's just i'm putting myself into this mentality every time i step into the woods of all right i'm ready for whatever here is here to come i'm here like yes. life doesn't happen to me i happen right. to life and yes. I, that when you have that sense of confidence and you've trained and you've trained and you've trained and you get there it's a powerful feeling man i I love talking about that and sharing it with people because yes. you see people get wide-eyed when they hear you talking about it, but then you go out and you start instilling skills in people and they're, and they're training and practicing. They're like, wow, man, this really is possible. And you're like, you've just scratched the surface. Yes. Do this for five years. Do this for eight years. Do this for 15 or 20 years and then go out to the woods and, and see how you feel. And and the best way to learn is to teach somebody else. It is. I was just talking about that the other night at a, a seminar that we were doing. And I, you know, I really... I thought I knew something as a student. I was like, wow, I've really got this down. And <laughs> yeah. then when I started teaching, you realize how much you don't know and how much you have to learn. But then it really reinforces those skills of like, man, I really need to refine this process because right. if I can't demo something as an instructor, that's a problem. If, if I can't, if I can't right. portray to you a, a level of confidence in my abilities for you to be able to pick up from that energy that I'm putting yes. down. That's an important aspect, especially in something like survival, because your life may depend on these skills. And I right. want you to feel that confidence. Yeah. I mean, really, we have been gifted 
this amazing thing called life. You know, I've been given a I've been given a body and a heart and a soul and a mind, and I feel thankful, but I also feel like this is this is a responsibility. So I'm going to take this gift and I am going to nurture it, foster it, develop it in a way that does my creator proud. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to just take this 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 thing called life for granted. Right. You know, and so all of a sudden things aren't simple anymore. Now my life depends on my ability to survive and it is my goal to do it in such a way that like the Truman Show again, if everybody is watching it, they're out there saying, that's awesome, that's amazing, that's fantastic, that's amazing. You know, I I, I just wanna be like that guy. Yeah. You know, in, in, a, in a healthy way, not in some weird way, you know? And right. so that's how I choose to live my life. I, I just want everybody to be proud of the of the human race, you know, saying that's what God intended all along for the human race right. is that right there. Right. You know, and, and that doesn't freak me out. It doesn't stress me out. It is like super motivates me. So I have expectations. You know, I'm pouring all of my heart and soul into this, and I expect the laws of nature to treat me well, you know, because mm -hmm. I am not out there to beat nature. No. I'm out there to blend and yes. harmonize with nature because I am nature too. Right. You know, and so we're going to take these laws of nature that regulate. Um, our ability to live on this planet and do it in such a way that it's honorable. Yes. And it's um, enviable. And it's something that people can be proud of. So the, the ability to maintain the will to survive, the desire to survive begins at birth. Right. You know, as a parent, I'm going to raise my child in such a way that they love life and want to do it justice and yes. do it honor. And then I'm in a situation where now my life depends on my ability to survive until I'm rescued. I am going to take that seriously. So I'm going to pre-plan. I'm going to anticipate that someday down the road, I may have, I may be in a situation where my life depends on my ability to survive. So I'm going to take advantage of the time that I have right now to learn how to survive and maintain that skill because that's honorable. That's the right thing to do. I've been given the gift of life, and so I am ready, I am preparing. You know, like we are prepared, we are the prepared, right. is, is Fieldcraft's awesome motto. And that means taking into account everything that could go wrong. I might end up in the ocean. I need to learn how to survive there. Yeah. I might end up in the jungle. Gotta know how to survive there. I might be in the Arctic. I might be a prisoner of war. Right. And I need to do life in such a way that if it all comes on me and me only and not somebody else helping me, then I need that skill set. And I need to be able to do it with and without man-made tools. I need to be able to be, just take my bare hands and go out into the wilderness and survive long enough to get back to civilization where I could be daddy again, I could be husband again, I could be neighbor again, I could be right. employee again, you know, because I don't intend to just run away and, and live out there like right. Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah. You know, I, have, I, I feel like I have a high, higher calling in life than just to <laughs> right. take care of only me, yes. you know, because I feel like I've been blessed. I think I could be a blessing to others. And, and I want to be something that people could look at and say, 
I, I want to be like him. I want to have his gifts. I want to have his, I want to, to make the lifestyle choices that he did. Yeah. And that's what happened to me when I got kicked out of the orphanage back when I was 15 years old. By the way, where do you go when the orphanage kicks you out? Yeah. That's pretty weird, right? It you go is. on the street. Fortunately, an aunt and uncle took me in, in Colorado, and I started living with them. And they had this invisible friend named Jesus. And I just thought it was cute. But I also started realizing what they believe about their friend affects who they are. And I really like who they are. Yeah. It was the first time in my life that I actually liked an adult. Yeah. I was 15 years old. I hated adults. Oh, Why? Especially. Because they just, all they wanted to do is just shut up, boy, and be unseen. Yeah. So that meant all adults were jerks. Yeah. You know, the orphanage, they weren't any better. You know, they were supposed to be there to, to help raise me where my parents couldn't. And by the way, I've reconnected with my, my mom and my dad and all is cool. Wow, that's you amazing. You know, I, I can understand at that time, you know, when the beatniks were becoming hippies and <laughs> responsibility wasn't necessarily right. um, shared with them, you know? And so mom and dad are, 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 especially mom is just doing really good. I'm very, very, very proud of her. That's amazing. And, and so happy that we were able to, to connect. Right. You know, because it couldn't happen when I was a child doesn't mean it's just too late. No, it's never. still possible for for anybody who's been orphaned uh, by 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 abandonment. Have some mercy, yeah, and realize that your parents were probably just kids trying to have kids. Yeah. Probably didn't even want kids. It just came about because of a good time. Yeah, you know, and so so cut them some slack. Yeah, because they're the different. They're not the same people they back they were right. back then when they abandoned you. And that's probably a person you're gonna like. Right. Give it a chance. Well, that, I mean, that resonates with me, man. I was adopted, you know, ah, when I was little. So, and, and, and I mean, my, I hit the jackpot with my family. Ah, I mean, my parents are, are awesome, man. So shout out to mom and dad. Love you guys. But Yeah, I love you too, guys. Yeah. And you, <laughs> and you, you said something, uh, you know, a second ago that I, I really like, and that's the will to survive starts at birth. And yeah. it, it does. Like, just like with all these things that we're seeing in our world now, the unfortunate things of hate and divide, you're not born that way. Those are taught behaviors and learned, the, yeah. the learned behaviors. And the opposite of that in this will to survive, it's a learned behavior. You have to have resilience. You've yes. got to build resilience. And it's never too late to start learning that skill set. Never. Just never. because maybe you didn't get this skill set growing up. Maybe you weren't a competitor. Maybe you weren't any of those things, but right. it's more inherent to those, what we see as alpha types, right? People that are like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm on the varsity football team. Oh, I'm a competitive swimmer. These competitive alpha type mentalities typically have it more as a, as a personality trait than some of us that don't have that. Right. But it's, you can't not learn it, right? It's yes. something that you can develop over time. Consciously, Consciously, intelligently. Yes. And and oftentimes you can be better for that because it's a deliberate act that you're making. And so when you start building your resilience, you do that just through challenging yourself. Yes. You, whether that's you join your chess club and you want to challenge yourself, whether you right. want to go on hikes, whether you want to, you know, go be a cop, you can take it from the most small thing, minute thing to the biggest thing. And you can start building that resilience and you can become a tougher mind minded person. Yes. And in turn, when you couple that with adding some skill sets, yes. no matter what that is, whether it's, Hey, I want to, I want to go hang out with Mike and I want to go learn. I, Mike, come to my neck of the woods and teach me this. You want to come to feel craft survival and say, Hey, Austin, teach me these, teach me this course. Let's, let's do it because we can develop those skills. And when you, when you couple mm -hmm. that resilience and tough mental mindset with a skill set, I mean, 
you're you're becoming a real you know bad mamma jamma you know yeah, what i mean like yeah. you're you're that guy or you're that gal that now is more capable you're self-reliant and you don't you don't have these this fear of like well what if right and, right you know and and something i've been talking about in some of the courses i'm teaching is and i this is something i've learned from mike working at this company is in the absence of action there's fear so yeah. when you don't have a skill set or you don't have the trained behavior to do something when an emergency, a survival situation is taking place, that's where that fear is coming from. But whenever mm-hmm. I have an action, I have a skill set to put in place of that fear, I no longer need to be afraid. No. I'm alone. I'm unafraid. And I'm, I'm prepared for whatever is coming at me. And that gives me a level of confidence going into the woods, going into whatever that scenario is to just like, let's handle business, you know? And people ask you and I all the time, um, have you ever had to actually survive? And the fact is I have not. And why? Because it might've been survival for you, but because of my skill set. It was merely yes. an unplanned campout, hundred percent. And I, I mean, being a search and rescue guy now, I see that all the time mm-hmm. with people in the woods. What when I look at the scenario, and I, I by no means do I want to be like you know the looking in hindsight of someone else's and judging someone else's scenario for what they did. But it's a learning point for me, and it's a teaching point for me to give to other people. When I see someone's experiences, when right. I see uh, you know a family. Uh, a man, a woman, and their and their children on a snow machine in the middle of the winter, and they're thirty miles away from their vehicle, um, and their snow machine breaks down, or they flip it over in ten feet of snow, and then, you know, they call us, and we're we're out there to get them, and they had no backpack with any supplies, mm. they mm. they have no tools to fix a snow machine, no ability to do anything. What it, it concerns me for them because it's what I would have you know, prior planned on. And I, and I don't say that to say, look how cool I am. I'm just right, saying right, through right. a skill set and, and training that I've had, and I'm fortunate to have had, you know, I think through a lot of things way before ever getting myself yes. involved in something. So resistance training that we got mm-hmm. uh, opened our eyes that way as young yes. men, you know, it, and, and in fact, everybody, every young person right out of high school should have to spend two weeks in our team. Oh man. <laughs> This would <laughs> what be a world a, we'd have. It would be a much better nation and a much better world if yeah. if everybody had to go through that, yeah. like like you and I did in ITB. Yeah. Not not like the pilots go through for right. for their training. That's yeah. a, a a watered down version, still right. a good version. Mm-hmm. But what we did is, you know, with the AEF and the RT, everybody should have to go through yeah. that. Much different. Um, parents owe it to their children to know how to survive. Yes. You know, it's like, you have no idea. You're driving across the country, your car breaks down, weather moves in, people can't get to you. What are you gonna do? Do you know how to do it? Do you even know how to prioritize your basic needs as a survivor? Do you know what they are? You know, what's first? What do you need to do um, for your family? And so moms and dads, you know, cause there's lots of single parents out there. So moms and dads need to know how to survive. If they don't know how to survive um, at home, when the grid breaks down, you know, there's an earthquake and you got rubble all around, you need to know how to survive in that environment. You need yes. to know how to survive if you break down in the desert over here in the in the in the temperate 
yeah. jungle out on a raft. You're, you're out there, you go for a scuba diving class and you're way out there and, and the boat captain yeah. has a heart attack and he's in, incapacitated. Yep. Um, yeah, do you know how to drive that boat? Mm -hmm. You know, so the, uh, the you know, this, the uh, Darwin game, yes. you know, it's like, do you know how to survive all of these different situations? Are you MacGyver or not? Mm -hmm. Or are you just as clueless around a hammer, you know, um, as someone else is around the surgeon's knife. Yeah. You know, you need to be well-rounded because you owe it to your kids because you gave them the gift of the life and you need to do whatever it takes to get them to the point where they could keep that life and not lose it because you didn't know what to do in a survival right. situation. And you know what? And to even go one further, you owe it to your community. Like yeah. you are the person in your community right now that's listening to this podcast, listening to us talk. Right. And you're thinking, man, I don't know anybody that has a skill set. Well, guess what? You're it. And yeah. so you're the person that, and I feel, and I, I feel, I'm sure that you feel, I feel a conviction that I owe this, these skills that I've learned to, to pass it on to other people. Cause part of it was uh, funded by taxpayer. <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah, facts. So, but I do, I feel this conviction inside of like, I need yeah. to pass this information along to someone else and yes. give this to you to prepare you for whatever it is. And if it's a medical emergency, if it's a car accident, if it's a, you know, a backcountry hunting accident, whatever it is, however I can prepare you and help you, I feel this conviction to do so. And we owe that to our communities to be those, that person in our community that says, Hey, I'll step up. I'll help take right. care of those that can't take care of themselves. And yes. you know, not everyone has that obligation. Not everybody feels that same conviction, but you do owe it to your families and you owe it to yourself to be prepared yes. and to be ready for whatever it is that comes at you. And that's why the, you know, the boys and girls clubs, the boys and girls scouts, um, churches have their own little version of outdoor, um, programs, right. uh, the Mormon faith, they've got tons of, of people who are into, you know, surviving if the grid yes. shuts down, you know, and, and that needs to be just a lifestyle among all Americans. I mean, think about how this country was, was founded right. by all of these hardy, strong-minded, strong-willed uh, people, frontiersmen moving across with the westward right. expansion and braving the elements and carving out a nation um, that was a, a lot of hard work, you know, and where is that spirit? Where right. is that pioneer frontiersman spirit? Just because you're never more than five minutes away from a grocery store doesn't mean that that's always going to be yeah. there. You know, you've heard the, the statistics that if the grid shuts down, yep. there's only three days of supply in that community. All the looting will have taken place. There was not going to be nothing left in the grocery stores. And so now what do you have at home? And how far are you from the wilderness? Do you have a way to get out of town so that you can get into the wilderness and then live off the land that way? Do you have a bug out? Do you have a bunker somewhere? Yes. You're never you more than 72 hours away from being in a survival situation. Yes. Ever. And then there's the 90-90 rule. You know, it's like if this country were to shut down and there was no transport, no electricity, no internet, none of the uh, utilities available, within 90 days, 90% of the population would be dead. Yeah. That's if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. And it, it's not even said in a, a fear mongering no. way. It's said as in motivation. You, you need to be motivated. You need yeah. to be educated and you need to know this 
that, hey, like, let me look at these numbers. Let me understand this information to better prepare myself because no better way to prepare than to know. I mean, you, you have the answers to the test, you know what the statistics are. So prepare yourself for that. And then some, and you're that much more ready and you're that much more capable. So, I mean, man. So a takeaway from a a life of, so I've 41 years now, I've been teaching wilderness survival. And what I take from that is I need more of it. Yeah. You know, I need to share with more people. I need to make myself more available uh, through Wilderness Way. It can't be much more available um, in that I don't charge anything. Right. Just a love offering. Yeah. Whatever is on your heart and, and however much you value this, you could always give more later if you want to. And mm-hmm. there's been a lot of that over the years. It's amazing. Where, you know, a family might give to me for two or three years every month. That's amazing. You know, and that was a wonderful thing. And so we as a society need to be to appreciate our luxuries and our freedoms and the fact that I can go to the store and buy whatever I need and feed my family anytime I want to. I can get in my car and drive somewhere. I can um, get in a plane and go somewhere. I can go anywhere, buy anything, do anything. This is the American dream. Yeah. And, but at any moment, like you said, 72 hours, it could be survival. Doesn't have to be though, because now you've been no. forewarned. Yep. And forewarned is prepared, right? Yeah. So I know now that I need a place where I've got food. And and as much as I love my fellow Americans, I fear them yes. in a Mad Max uh, scenario. <laughs> so I might have enough food saved up for a year for me and my family and a few friends. I don't have enough for you. And if you think what's mine is yours, well, I have high, high velocity lead that says otherwise. <laughs> and don't you dare come and get my food no. just because you chose to think yes. I was an idiot yes. for being prepared for something like that. Doesn't mean I'm gonna be a sucker and I'm gonna feed you yes. at the expense of my family. It's not gonna happen. The saying goes, mm-hmm. you're a victim by choice. You are, yeah. you are. And so is there time to be prepared? Absolutely. Is it that difficult? Not at all. No. I mean, there are so many people out there that are making bug out kits. You guys that here at Fieldcraft yeah. produce excellent things for, for short-term, long-term mobility yeah. uh, to be able to take up care of your medical needs. Yeah. Because don't ever forget that in a Mad Max society, there's going to be bleeding and there's going to be cuts and there's going to be injuries and there's going to be a shortage of medication. Yep. Do you know how to replace that medication in the field? And so you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your family, you owe it to your community, you owe it to your God to be uh, the Minuteman. Yeah. You need to be ready and you need to be able to defend yourself too. Yeah. Agreed, man. I, I love that. And that's that's a philosophy that we try to instill here at Fieldcraft. And pretty obviously that's what you, you're trying to instill in all the students that you have. So guys, check out Mike at his company on where they find you online on your website yeah yeah most people just you know they they put up christian wilderness survival uh wilderness way adventures will come up okay and i'll come to your neck of the woods and i will show you how to survive where you're at and in the meantime you're also gonna during that class you're gonna have a lot of fun you're gonna hear a lot of great stories awesome. and you're gonna feel a lot closer to god that's amazing man well mike thank you so much for spending your time with us today this would be good it's, it's been awesome hanging out with you this was a great podcast i really enjoyed this i've done quite a few podcasts yeah. and i gotta say sitting across from a fellow uh syrian instructor feels great yeah that's awesome man well i i appreciate that and um guys uh 
I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have, as much as we have. And um, catch out, catch Mike at his website, have him come out and train, you know, hit us up on Instagram, whatever it needs, and go out, be that person in your community for your family to be better prepared. And guys, we'll catch you on the next podcast. Mm-hmm.